Hello, yeah, uh, if you haven't met, I'm Dom, I'm married to Alice. If you haven't met her, I would recommend you do. She's my favorite. And then we've got two little boys, uh, Eugene, who any given Sunday could be down the front, two-step into Lighthouse or uh, stomping or trying to run out the back door. Um, he speaks for many of us. Uh, <laughs> either way. Uh, and then Miles, who's a good lad. Doesn't sleep, but he's a good lad. Uh, he's two. Um, yeah, so we're in this talk, the I Am series. Uh, all moments when Jesus says, I am dot, dot, dot. I am the bread of life. I am the true vine. I am the gate. I am the light of the world, and so on. There are seven of these, as, Jen, uh, as Ben said, and they are Jesus claiming his divinity. He, God's name, almost always when translated into English, is Lord, all uppercase when you look in the Bible, and but the Hebrew word is pronounced something more like Yahweh, which many of us will be familiar with. Uh, and it's built around the word for I am, which is how we get to I am. Seven times Jesus uses these statements, which we know we're hearing it every week. And these statements are hugely important to us because they are Jesus telling us who he is in his own words. It's a bit like when you're around here living in southeast London. Everyone wants to know who you are, where you've, what you're about. Who you know, that's a classic. Not a week goes by around there. I've lived in the area 17 years and uh, not a week goes by where I don't end up in a conversation where it's like, do you know so-and-so? Do you know so-and-so? I was doing it this morning with Chris and a friend of mine who's here. Like, and it's like, but what we're doing when, when that happens is what we're saying is, I want to know what you're about. If we're going to be in a relationship together, I want to know what you're about. I want to know what you know, who you know. That's just how friendships are built, particularly around here. And it's exactly what Jesus was doing there. He... Um, He's talking to the local Pharisees, the local religious lot, when he, uh, the passage that we've just read, he just had a row with them because what he had done is he had healed someone. There was a blind man in the passage, just before the, today's verses, there was a blind man and uh, Jesus healed him, which is nice. But this religious lot weren't happy because he did it on the Sabbath. So he did it on the wrong day, on the day when you're not supposed to do anything, you're supposed to rest. So putting aside the fact that he had performed this incredible miracle where there was a man who could not see and then he could see which is pretty amazing. They weren't happy because he had done it on the Sabbath, on the wrong day. So there's a bit of tension. They didn't really like him. It was quite controversial. Um, so that's the setting of where we are today. And along with these seven statements that John said, uh, the I am statements, there are seven miracles. There are seven of them. They're counted. And it's as if to link those miracles to the seven statements. So we've heard, uh, I am the true vine. To show you that, I'm going to turn this water into wine. Or, I am the bread of life, I provide for your needs, is another th uh, statement that Jesus made. To do that, I'm going to take that packed lunch, I'm going to turn it into enough food to feed 5,000 plus. Plus, because they only counted the men back then, so there were women and children there as well. So it's probably a, actually a considerable greater number than the 5,000. Anyway, either way, there's a lot of people that one packed lunch has been turned into to feed all of those people. The, the point that John is making with these miracles, with this whole book, is he's not just wanting to feed us information, give us information. It's, it's, he actually wants, us to sh wants to show us who Jesus is through his actions as well. Even Jesus says it. He says, if you don't believe the words, at least believe the signs. In another statement, uh, another passage in this book. Today's statement, I am the good shepherd. Uh, and then the miracle that we're going to look at is in John 4, where Jesus heals the official son. We'll come on to that shortly first off yes Jesus uses this metaphor of the shepherds he knows who he's talking to you know even just before we move into some of the other stuff 
culturally, he knows who he's talking to. You know, uh, David started out as a shepherd. This lot, David was their king years before. Um, so it's, it's, and it's, it's part of their wealth. It's part of their trade. It's part of their day-to-day was culturally, everyone was familiar with, with that as a picture, with that as a metaphor. Okay, yeah, I know a shepherd. John down the road, he's a shepherd. Yeah, I know what he's about. I know what he does. I know what that commitment means. I, he sleeps out under the stars with his sheep. That's what they did. There was this beautiful arrangement of their lives around their sheep and their flock. They loved their flock. I know it's weird, their sheep. But that was their business. That was, but it was more than that. It was part of their identity and who they were. The, they were there. The shepherds were there in, when Jesus turned up. You know, they were the first the people that were told you know, to go. And um, they're important. It, culturally, they were important. It was part of their wealth and everything else. But the story that we're reading today, the Jews, they were back in their homeland. So the people that Jesus was talking to, the Jews, they were back in their homeland. But they were still being ruled, this time by the Roman Empire. So previously they had been taken captive, they were in Babylon, uh, they had come through that and now they were back in Jerusalem and the surrounding areas but they were under the rule of the Roman Empire who were, they had like a, like a crippling financial system over the Jews, they were taxing them up to their eyeballs, they were um, treating them as second class citizens, they weren't yet free to be who they were supposed to be as God's people and they knew this they were treated as second class citizens and they're crying out to God to rescue them they're holding on to these ancient promises think Psalm 23 what does it say it says the Lord is my what my shepherd he makes me lie down in green pastures he leads me but we all know it. he leads me beside still waters he restores my soul so after years and years they had that truth they had that promise but yet here they are again being ruled by another, being ruled by the Romans this time, and they it didn't look like they were by still waters. It didn't look like they were resting in green pastures. So they're longing for this shepherd to turn up. Another, uh, another metaphor that um, is actually in the Old Testament is interchangeably used with shepherd. It's actually father, which links us to the miracle uh, in a bit. Um, Back in the Garden of Eden, God was, took on the role as father to Adam and Eve. They would be his children. And you think about the Exodus story. What did God say to Moses to go and tell Pharaoh? He said, Israel is my firstborn son. Let my firstborn son go. We're quite familiar with that. So again, we've got this father-son relationship. God as father, Israel as his son, his child. Uh, it, but in this moment, how it looked was as if Israel had been orphaned. They're under this, the rule of another, under the Roman Empire. They're not free to be who they want to be. And they're, but they're holding on to these promises. You've got father, you've got, I'm, I'm going to adopt you as my children. And in that relationship, you'll flourish again and you'll, you'll be who I want you to be uh, one day. They're clinging on to this. But what we need to do just quickly is we need to, to understand what this shepherd means beyond it just being culturally, a cultural um, statement of, of uh, their economy and things like that is we need to look at a couple of uh, prophetic texts from the Old Testament. So stay with me. We've got to do a little bit of groundwork. You need to really understand this. It's really important what this means. So don't, don't back off. Um, so Israel was a prophet. God said some stuff to him that he then had to relay to the people. And this is what he says in uh, Ezekiel 34, verse 2, pick it up. This is what God is telling Ezekiel to say. Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, these are the earthly leaders of the time of God's people. Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only take, up, take care of yourselves. 
Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool and, the, and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. So what God's saying there is, you're mistreating my people. I've given you responsibility to look after them and you're not doing it, you're blowing it. And then in verse 10, he says this, and the connection's gone. He says this, this is what the sovereign Lord says, I am against the shepherds. So there's the judgment. There's, there's, there's his judgment, I'm against you for what you're doing. And then here's the solution in verse 11. I myself will search my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock, when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they are scattered. I will tend them in a, in, in a good pasture and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. They will, uh, there they will lie in good grazing. You know, there's elements of Psalm 23 again, the good grazing in the pastures. Um, and there they will feed in a rich pasture in the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend to my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. You need to know that Jews in Jesus' time, they were longing for that. They were clinging on to these Old Testament promises and they're waiting for this Messiah, God, to, to intervene and come and bring them to freedom, to liberate them so they can live as who they're supposed to be. They were desperate. I've got another prophecy. Jeremiah 31, let's go. Verse 8. See, I will bring them from the land of the north and gather them from the ends of the earth. Among them will be the blind and the lame, expectant mothers and women in labor. A great throng will return. They will come with weeping. They will pray as I bring them back. I will lead them beside streams of water. There it is again. I will lead them beside streams of water on a level path where they will not stumble. Because he's what? Because I am Israel's father. There's father again. And Ephraim, which is another name for Israel, is my firstborn son. Hear the word of the Lord, you nations. Proclaim it in the distant coastlands. He who scattered Israel will gather them up and will watch over his flock like a what? like a shepherd. So we've got father again, we've got shepherd again. It's being drummed home it's constantly in these Old Testament promises. God's going to liberate his people. He's going to be their shepherd. He's going to be their father. And he's going to lead them to life. And I think it's time that we come in and we're going to look at some cultural references, some what it looks for us now, the waters that we're swimming in now in 2019 in London. What does this all mean for us? None of us are shepherds, I don't think. We're not talking agriculture or any of that business. Soci sociologists call my generation, which is the same generation as many of you here, the fatherless generation. I didn't. And much of it points towards physical, physically absent fathers in people's lives, but those who weren't present, who aren't present in their kids' lives, but, but it could also point to emotionally absent fathers, passive fathers, fathers inactive in their child's upbringing, in their ki kids' upbringing, they were around, but they appeared distant, not involved in their personal lives. Um, and this can actually have an impact on how we relate to God with this language of father. Sometimes father's not actually that helpful for some people because maybe a, a poor experience they've had with their own earthly father. Um, but I wonder if that goes beyond this room that we talk about this sort of stuff. I wonder if it's in our communities. I wonder if in our workplaces and in our schools there. There are lots of authority figures 
Paul, when he's writing to the church in Corinth, he says, you have 10,000 guardians, but you don't have a father. You know, I wonder if that, we can relate to that. We have people that, bosses who, they look at us as collateral damage. They don't look at us, they don't invest in us. It's like, oh, well, we need to make cuts. You're out, or whatever it is. Um, we, we're familiar with that. But I wonder if there is a longing for a father figure, for each of us in our lives. I read an interview with the MP David Lammy and um, his father walked out on his, him and his mum and his family. He has uh, four other siblings um, when he was 12, uh, leaving his mother to raise them alone. And he said this, my dad became unimaginably important the day he left. I struggled to cope with anger, self-doubt, and what it felt like personal betrayal. I had to lean on youth workers and priests and teachers to help me fill the great father-shaped hole in my life. I wanted to show us a quick uh, music video um, by an artist called Celeste. It only came out a couple of months ago. The song's called Father's Son. Um, and in a recent interview, this is what she said. She said, Father's Son is a song about absent fathers, who you are without them, who you will be without them, and all the questions about yourself that you wish you could have asked them. My mother has covered so much of my life but there were points where I thought it would be cool to ask my dad this one question.
Maybe I care, maybe you don't, maybe I'll let go, maybe you won't, maybe I'm lonely, maybe you're lost, maybe I'm an echo, maybe I'm a ghost, maybe I'm my father's son, could have been anyone. Oh, I'm nothing like you. No, I'm nothing like you. There'll be stories like this, um, endless stories of this around us, um, friends of ours. It's not necessarily my story, but I know that I can be naive to this sort of thing, um, the things that are going on around me. I think it's good for us to stay aware of uh, the realities of friends of our communities um, in, in these sorts of situations. Um, so we've got this theological foundation that the Jews were longing for a shepherd. We've got this cultural truth and reality that's around us that uh, as a generation, as a society, we're longing for father figures. And with that in mind, um, let's hear what Jesus said. He said, I am the good shepherd. So remember, we've got this phrase. He's gonna say, I will lay down my life for my sheep. That's us Christian that he's talking about. We've got this Shepherd, this phrase shepherd, we've got it interchangeably used with father. And here's the sign in John 4. Jesus was back in Galilee in Cana. He was back, uh, is where he had turned the water into wine. So he drew a crowd. They're like, maybe they had a party coming up. They were a bit short on wine. So then they wanted to, him to do the same trick again. Maybe it was that, maybe it wasn't. But it, within the crowd, verse 46, it says this. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you'll never believe. The royal official said, sir, come down before my child dies. So this man's heard that Jesus is here, he's there. It's taken him, we'll find out in a minute, he's, he's, he's traveled a long way to come and see Jesus, to speak to Jesus. And he's, telling him, come, he's desperate. He's saying, come, come and save my little boy. He's gonna die. Um, I think I can go some way to understanding uh, what that might look like, the desperation. Um, we've had quite a lot of serious health issues with both of our sons, um, but the youngest, Miles, one day I was getting him to sleep before work. He was maybe five or six months old and um, I was putting him down for his nap. He's in my arms and his eyes just bolted open and I was like, crazy, kid's sleeping with his eyes open. That's weird. His mum does that every now and then. That's what I'm thinking. And then I'm like, hold on. And I go closer and I realize he's not actually breathing. Um, and uh, and I, I'm like, Alice is a nurse, a pediatric nurse. And I'm like, babe! Like Alice comes running in and he starts going blue um, at that point. So we're panicking. Alice says, this is not good. <laughs> um, understatement. And then he started convulsing and he, he basically had a seizure. Um, I'm on the phone to 999 and when you're on, when you, I don't know if you've ever had to make this call, um, when you make that call and they say, is the child breathing? If you say no, because he wasn't when, uh, when I phoned them, every single ambulance that doesn't have anyone in the back that within the local area basically heads to that place. And so suddenly three ambulances turn up. Um, this is like 8.30 on a Wednesday morning. And uh, Suddenly we've got six or seven paramedics in our front room. Eugene, his older brother, is just sort of sat there looking up at mummy. Uh, I, even before they've arrived, I've looked in and Alice has got Miles on the floor. He's a six month, her six-month-old child. And, he, and it's like she's trying to revive him. We, we really didn't know what it was, whether he was choking on something, he'd been ill, maybe he was choking on some sick, but he had a seizure. Um, but it's like this desperation like, in us, like as parents, right? Um, 
they came in, by which time he had come round. And he's like, all right, looking around. This is Miles, sort of looking around. And we obviously felt slightly ridiculous to an extent. We just had this, and then suddenly he's come round again. And he had basically had a fit. And we didn't know that he would have anything like epilepsy or any of that sort of stuff. It was the first time it had happened. Anyway, for a few months, this went on eight or nine times over the next few months. We didn't sleep. We were basically, I, I basically slept, stood up over his cot, worried that this would happen again, right? Um, and it happened again. Uh, but on this weekend, which I've told a few people about, I'm looking at the time, so I'm going to try and speed up. Um, this one weekend, Eugene uh, had an allergic reaction. He was ill, and he had an allergic reaction to the medication that the hospital had suggested that he had. He had come up in this rash, and he woke up at about 10 p.m. on a Saturday night, uh, he had a temperature of like 41. <laughs> uh, so they came, a, para, a doctor came, not even a paramedic, uh, a doctor came. He then checked him again over. He's like shivering and going blue and stuff. He's still breathing at the time. And he was like, ambulance, let's go. My, uh, Eugene and Alice end up at King's uh, for the night. I've, I'm coming and going through the night. Alice's family live locally, so that was helping look after Miles. I wake up four or five hours later, uh, with Miles, I plonk him on the sofa, put match of the day on to make a bit of breakfast, and it happens again. So he stops breathing again. I put him in the recovery position. He has a fit, uh, and I'm on the phone to 999 again. 40 minutes later, they came, and we're at St. Thomas's. So Alice is at King's with Eugene. I'm at St. Thomas's with Miles, texting each other, just like, what is going on? Like, we were basically at our end. Like, every single time this happens, we had to phone an ambulance. You have to, like, because it's a child. It's, they're so young. Um... Yeah, so I'm at King's that night with Eugene. You, Miles got discharged. I'm at King's with Eugene, and Alice is up with him in the room. I go down to the M&S, which is where, where God is uh, among the pastries. I'm looking at the croissants. I'm thinking, maybe I'll take one of those. I'm looking at the pastries. I'm thinking, yeah, maybe. And I just started weeping. I'm just stood there, and I'm just weeping. And um, They've been there all day. They're a bit dry. Uh, might have been that. Might not have been that. But I'm just saying, basically, God, I'm at, I'm at the end now. Like, we've kind of got to our end. We're done. Like, Eugene's had five operations over the past four years. Health issues he has completely separate to this. Um, we're like, we've got nothing left here. Like, uh, if, if you're a thing, it got to that point. If you are a God that I read about and I get told about every Sunday who I've been told I know you're going to have to step in at this point because I'm done. And... There was no, in that moment, there was no, whew, everyone's healed. Um, God doesn't always work like that. That's, like, it's frustrating, but that's not always how it works. We definitely saw God in, in friendship and in, in, in community after that. Um, people stepped in, stepped up for us and looked after us and parented us um, during that time. But well, I was reminded of a friend. She's actually speaking next Sunday. She's great. She was once speaking, she talked about it in Hebrews, the beginning of Hebrews. Uh, what's going on is the writer is setting this whole thing up and he's, he's arguing that Jesus is greater than all the prophets. Jesus is greater than all of the angels because Jesus is the ultimate revelation of the Father. And that's why he came. If he said, Jesus said this, if you see me, you have seen who? The Father. And, and I'm thinking about that. And it's like what I realized was that my vision of God as father was skewed, that um, I had become, I'd fallen into this pattern of God as king, God as creator of all, God as lord of all, God as ruler, all these statements, because I'm like, God is so grand, God is so 
you look at this building, it's like, it's for him. Like, you, like you look at, he's like untouchable. So he's a king um, as well as a father who happens to be a father. He, he, in my life, he was ruler who happened to be a father. In my life, he was Lord of all who happened to be a father. Listen, he is all of those things. But he's actually a father who happens to be a king. He's a father who happened to be the creator of all things. He's a father who, want, who is ruler over Oh, it's a subtle shift. It's a subtle shift in language, but it has a profound impact on our relationship with God. It has completely, completely can change your whole perspective of who God is to you as his child because it goes from a relationship and a language of distance, of quite untouchable because he's king and who am I? And when you approach the king, how do you do it? You bow and you're low and you're low and you're like, God, oh God, oh God. And actually the subtle shift is, you then go from being this uh, language and a relationship of distance to a relationship of nearness, of a father, a good father to a son, a good father to a daughter. If you've ever seen me lead worship here, my two sons are constantly wanting to run up onto the stage to get near to me. It's not that I'm a worship leader who happens to be their dad. They don't care. They don't care who's watching. They, they like that I play a bit of guitar, but that's about it. No, no, no. First and foremost, I am their dad who happens to just lead a little bit of worship on a Sunday, but they want to be close to me. And if, and if I had it the wrong way around, that would break my heart as their dad, that they can't come close to me, they can't touch me. And there he is. Um, they um, sorry. He, and he's a good shepherd and he's a good father and he wants you to know that this morning. He wants you to draw close to him this morning. He wants you to, to run into his arms. We come boldly, we can come boldly. We sing it so often, like, who, I am who you say I am. We declare it to us. We we're preaching to our souls this morning that God is our anchor and he wants to be the perfect dad because he is. He's the, Jesus is the everlasting father. He's the prince of peace. He's wise counsel. He's all of these things to us. All of those things, all these, those names, before he even turned up, Isaiah named him as all of those things. He's the everlasting father. He's the perfect father. So if your earthly father's blown it, there is a father in heaven. I'm not saying that flippantly. There are people that want to pray for you, and we can work through that. I'm not just saying, it's not my, that's not my experience. But friend, I urge you like, to come near to the father this morning. Um, you know, Jesus, he... There was no self-interest. He showed it ultimately that he was the shepherd, that he is a father to us. Because, and what does it say? I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the flock. You know, he went to the, went to the cross. He lay, literally laid down his life for his sheep, for the Christian, for the person who believes in him, for creation. And he's saying, come. He's saying, come this morning. I want to be your dad again this morning, or for the first time, come into my family. We've not been around long. We've, as you know, like, I mean, eight months to some people, that's like a, like a, like a week, not even that. It's like a couple of days. Some of you, boy, we're talking, I was talking to Chris Henry this morning, the guy who literally bought into this church, married here and everything. It was great. Like, I've been here basically a day compared to him. But we've not been around long, but all we've known is love from this community. All we've known from the leaders is that they are genuinely good shepherds and they want the best for us. And I believe that when you come into a community like that, you will flourish. You will flourish. You will be part of the flock. You will live the life that God intended for his people then. But they kept failing. They kept blowing it. And he had to send his, send his son. He had to send Jesus to come and fulfill the law and to do all of that stuff. And he shows the example of what it looks like to be a good shepherd, to be part of God's family as his son. And that's us too as a Christian. And I ask, if, if you can stand, I'd love for you to stand. I'm not going to 
ham this up. There's no way I'm going to ham this up and emotionally manipulate anyone. I'm not good at any of that. Um, but I know how to wait on God. We're good at that here. I ask that we would wait on God. He, he's here. He's here uh, by his spirit. And he wants to speak to all of us this morning.